Today's reading is 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father. It is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. <laughs> so, um, we have been looking at, uh, I know some people are visiting today, and some of you may have been out over the last few weeks, but the last several weeks, we've been uh, looking at the beginning chapters of First John, um, Last week, Rabbi Chaim uh, spoke about walking in the light, if you recall. So the idea of walking in the light and what that means and how that's kind of truth versus non-truth, and the idea that by when you walk in the light that there's a chance that things are going to be exposed, right? Things maybe that were in the dark either intentionally or things that were in the dark unintentionally, doesn't matter. The point is that light is going to expose them. And that in the context of us preparing for um, a move to our own facility, that beyond the physical preparation, there's a lot of spiritual preparation that's going on. And quite frankly, that's really what we're just as much, if not more, interested in than the other stuff. And Part of that, I mentioned, is that there's, there's a growth process that takes place. And with how that relates to First John, he said, look, that, you know, the, 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 the likelihood of things being exposed and the likelihood of there being some, uh, that being the instigator of some offenses with one another is, is very likely. And that that's part of the process of walking in the light and having fellowship with God and how that affects the, the fellowship that's going to be happening horizontally. And so that's what I spent time talking about. And so as we move in the direction of, of obtaining our own meeting space, our own ministry space, that we need to remain, we want to remain very focused on that big picture. We don't want to get so tied up and think just about, you know, the, the physical real estate search and all that that entails but that we, we really don't lose sight, it kind of sounds ironic, that we don't want to lose sight of the invisible things. <laughs> you know, we don't want to lose sight of the invisible things that God's doing uh, in us and through us through this process. Because to us, that seems like such a big deal, the, the details and the real estate and the money and all that stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is that as we're, as we're walking in, in God's light, because we do believe God's leading us in this direction, that we walk in the light, things will get exposed, and there's going to be a bigger, bigger works that, that go on and we don't want to miss that, uh, that bigger vision that goes on beyond the physical structure because we, we end up just missing out. We'll end up missing out on that if we do. So that's why we're kind of staying focused on, on these spiritual things while we're still going to talk about the physical building on an ongoing basis. And really, this is a, the idea of the, the physical versus the spiritual, yes. But really, in, in the context of today's passage, I think it's the the comparison of the permanent versus the temporary. That's really what's being talked about today. The permanent versus the temporary. And quite frankly, most of us spend our lives, and this is not an indictment, this is just reality, 
Most of us spend our lives so deeply engrossed in things that, that really are just only temporary. And I think it's important that we're reminded of that on a regular basis because the truth is it's in front of our face all the time. Most of the things we're engrossed with are the temporary things, whether it is us you know, experiencing the enjoyment <coughs> of the temporary things or whether it's us you know, delving into the worry and the concern of the temporary things. Ultimately, regardless, either way, whether we're, we're focused on it or we're worried about it, it, these are mainly usually just very temporary things, okay? And this is not a call to, to, you know, to get off the grid and all that kind of thing. That's not, that's not the point. Hopefully we can, we can see the balance here that's going on. Um, but that's really what these three verses uh, in, in 1 John are, are talking about today. And they're talking about a choice, a choice that you're either engrossed in the things of the world or you're focused on the will of the Father. That's what, these, that's what these passages are talking about. There is no middle ground. I'm not talking today, uh, and these, these verses aren't talking today about being balanced. You've heard, you hear this a lot. People talk about balance. I need to get balanced in my life. I need to be a balanced, a well-rounded person. That often surfaces with, uh, with folks saying things like, well, I'm a spiritual person. We hear, that, we hear that a lot nowadays. I feel like I'm a very spiritual person. I think really what that is, is that's sort of a, a call or, or somebody trying to say, look, I'm balanced, I'm balanced, I'm not all this way, I'm not all that way, I'm kind of a balanced person between this, you know, I'm spiritual, but obviously I, I work a job and I do other things and I, you know, all this, so I'm balanced. That's not at all what, what this is talking about. This is not at all what, what, first, what John is talking about here. There is no balancing act. I think the point is, is that these two things, the, 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 the temporary, the permanent, the physical, the spiritual, they just don't go together, Okay. They just, they just don't go together. I'll talk a little bit more about that, but you can't have them both at the same time. So let's take, uh, we're going to take the rest of the time to look at these verses in 1 John. And when I, when I uh, in seminary, actually, the first semester of, of Greek, um, you do a lot of work, but really at the end of the first semester, if you, if you apply yourself, even moderately, uh, you're able to translate 1 John because it's really pretty simple in a sense, easy to translate. Uh, the vocabulary is not all that different. If you read First John in English, it's the same way. You'll see this kind of repetitive, you know, if you this, if you that, there's a light, and this is not in you, that's not in you, and, you know, you, if you say this, you're that. If you don't say this, you're that. It's very kind of simple, and, and to put it real bluntly, it's just easy to translate. But the message itself is not simple. The message itself is not trivial. It's just easy to, easy to understand, I think. Uh, and... The truth is, I think these kind of three verses, there are no verses I say that this is the one thing you've got to learn and, and kind of make the spiritual foundation of your life. But quite frankly, I think, whereas the, these verses are not trivial or easy, these are verses that you could meditate on and really, if, if you could really get these down, these are very foundational verses, this idea of permanent versus temporary and this, this idea of things of the world versus the love of the Father and, and the will, doing the will of the Father. Uh, you could meditate on them for a long time and cement them as foundational. And the question then would be, then how long would it take for those things to sink in to where your reaction uh, to things would be, would be different, you know, uh, versus when you're going to revert back to your old patterns and your old ways of dealing with things. So let's take a look at these verses in a bit more detail. Again, I know these are verses that you're probably familiar with, um, if you're not, hopefully you will be at by today because there's not a lot of, like I said, there's not, not, not too much double talk going on. So back there in, in verse 15, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to primarily just stay here in, in 1 John chapter 2 in these three verses. So verse 15 says, Do not love the things of the world. Now, 
This is one of those uh, commands. This is a pretty strong command. Uh, you've heard, heard us talk about it before where, you know, there's often this thought that the Old Testament is just a book of commands and the New Testament is just love, love, love and flowers and pink rabbits and all that kind of stuff. Um, but this is a pretty strong command. It says, do not, absolutely, no way, Jose, it says, uh, do not love the world or the stuff of the world. Very generic. There's nothing you can kind of slip past this word uh, to think, well, I could love that because it's, it's not encompassed here. And this is, this is just the plural word for the. So thes, all the stuffs in the world. And if someone does this, which is a strong possibility, this is a, this is a, a strong possibility, it says that the love of, of, basically that the love of the Father, the love of God, is not in them. Okay? So, any questions? Okay. Any questions about that? Okay. Um, what this is saying is, you know, don't, don't, it's saying exactly what you think it's saying. But it's talking about a habitual way of living, okay? It's saying, look, if you're doing this, okay, uh, stop doing it. And if you're, if this is your habit, your sort of MO, your mode of operation, then stop doing it. That's not to give you license to, to, to realize, you know, you're going to slip up and, and kind of divert your attention sometimes. Uh, it's not license for that. It's just realizing that that's going to happen. But you don't want that to be your, your mode of operation. Because if you do, again, there's a choice here. It's very clearly laid out. Either you've got this or you've got that. You've either got the love of the Father in you or you've got the love of the world in you. You can't have two. Um, you ever played with magnets before? I'm sure you have as a kid. You've know, you got two magnets. You've got the north and the south, and you put them, boom, they, they go together. And then, of course, remember that first time you figured out when you try to put the north to the north or the south to the south? It's like, that's pretty cool. And, they, and my kids love that. And, and if they're small enough magnets, you can put them together, right? Now they're stuck together. What happens when you let go? I mean, they immediately, they, they, just, they just don't go together. You can artificially try to put them together, but they just don't go. And that's the exact picture here that's going on. Again, this is not a balancing act. This is not having a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's a matter of these two do not go together. These are opposing poles of a magnet, okay? It's that way with the love of God or the love of the world. You can't be fully committed to both is what it's saying. Now, maybe you're thinking... Um, that the Bible talks about the world, doesn't it? I mean, think about, uh, there's a thing called general revelation uh, that we talk about in theology, that, you know, just the fact that the stars, I mean, the, 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 the heavens declare the glory of God, right? And the stars, you know, are just majestic, and, and it's a beautiful thing, you know? And not only that, you know, I read today from John 3, uh, 14 and 15. You know the verse that comes after that one, right? 16, John three sixteen. Yeah, what does that one say? God so loved the world. Same word that's used there is used here in these verses. So all of a sudden, Yeshua is saying, we're talking about you know, God so loved the world, but yet we're not supposed to love the world. You know, if it was good enough for God to love the world, why, why are we not to love the world? Well, um, in this context, don't confuse. Even though it's the same word, this, this idea of world is not... The, the physical, necessarily the physical world as we see it, the heavens and the trees and the, the pink rabbits and all that stuff. Um, this has to do with a system. When we, when we read this word world here in this context, it has to do with a system. Um, and you're familiar with this. We often use that word world in this, in this way. We talk about the world of fashion or the world of sports or the world of whatever. We're talking about a system, right? Something that, that's a system. And specifically here... This is talking about a system of, of values or priorities that are opposed, specifically in opposition to God. And I think you can relate to that. 
Uh, the book of, of, of Ephesians talks about that. Chapter 2 says that, you know, you were, you who are not believers in Yeshua, you were once dead uh, through your trespasses and sins following the course of this world. Okay, same word there. It's the word cosmos. You've probably heard the word cosmos before. That's the word that's being used here, cosmos uh, in Greek. So that's, that's what's going on here. We're talking about a, a system that is specifically opposed to, to God. Okay? That's what this, 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 these, these verses start talking about. And then if you're wondering, what, what are some of the details here? That's, what the, that's really what verse 16 goes into uh, with further explanation. He says, don't love the things of the world, right, or else the love of the Father is not in you. So what are the things of the world? As Chaim would say, glad you asked. Verse 16, <laughs> verse 16 explains it. It says, because all the things of the world, comma, no real commas there, but comma, and then it explains what they are. And it goes on to explain uh, two things that it talks about desires or passions that you can have, and then a third thing that I'll talk about in a minute. But this idea of desires or passions it talks about, your translation might say desire or lust, and that's pretty much what it is. It's the sort of this idea of desire or lust of, uh, of the flesh, and I'll talk about what that is, and also of, of the eyes, and I'll talk about what that is. Um, so desires, first of all, I want to I just to realize that desires are not necessarily a bad thing, okay? Desires are God-given. God gives us desires, all kinds of desires. Desires to eat, desires to sleep, desires to, to do other things that are not necessarily bad. Um, you know, Paul talks about his, you know, if you look at this word desire, you see it all over the scriptures. You know, Paul desired to be uh, absent from the body, in a sense, to be dead so he could be with the Lord. Yeshua desired to eat the, the Passover Seder with his disciples. So desire on its own is not a bad thing. But just like anything, um, good things can be used for the wrong purposes, right? So this is the idea that, you know what, it's a good thing that gets perverted. And I, I this is, it's interesting, I mean, not interesting, it's, uh, I think it's important to consider this word because when we talk about desires or passions now, I don't know about you, but it kind of, it gets under my skin a bit because if you ever read like people's blogs, sometimes I get little Facebook posts from, from pastor friends I have and they'll say, oh, this person wrote a little interesting blog and I read the blog and then I read about the person who wrote the blog, Right. It talks about their passions and desires, you know, and it's stuff like hiking and good coffee and chocolate, and, and it just makes me want to vomit a little bit, you know, because, you know, th- those are passions and desires. I mean, God obviously talks about passions and desires. Um, so anyways, little little tangent there, but passions and desires can be, is a good thing, but this is the idea that these things are, are kind of been turned on their head and perverted, specifically with regard to that they're absent God. So passions and desires that, that are sort of have no peace of God in them. And the first one he talks about is this passion of the flesh. And this word here for the flesh, it goes beyond um, just, you know, skin and bones. We can certainly talk about, you know, whether it's gluttony or improper sexual uh, things, all that kind of stuff. That's certainly there. But this idea of the flesh or the word that's used here is really an all-encompassing, all-encompassing word that has to do with the entirety of a person, their, their entire physical makeup, even extending to the things that they're able to do, your, 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 your giftings in a sense, your physical abilities, your accomplishments, all that kind of stuff. And it's important to think about that because this is, not, you know, this, this is the stuff that, we're, again, we're faced with every day, day in, day out. You know, from your work, you know, to the things you do, maybe your good work fixing your car, whatever it might be, the point is any of these things can get perverted 
And they're all part of this improper, you know, desire of the, the flesh, in a sense. And I think it's good for us to realize that because sometimes we think, well, how do I deal with that? This is so much in my face all the time. And I think what happens is that we, our, our immediate reaction can be almost like, um, I don't want to pick on denominations, but there's a thing called asceticism. The idea that, you know, I want to be more spiritually attuned and spiritually sharp. I take everything that's, that, I, that I feels good to me. I just kind of crush it, you know. I'm going to take cold showers. I'm going to sleep on a hard floor. I'm going to, you know, whatever it might be. There's all kinds of things that have been done over the years, but I'm going to totally try to, you know, crucify my, my flesh in a sense. And, and that's all we think about. But again, by doing that, what are we focusing on? Yeah, I mean, Chaim has told me before sometimes there's a, there's a, uh, um, when it comes to lawn care, for example, he says you can take the, the you know, the weed, weed killer approach or the fertilizer approach. <laughs> and sometimes all we do is we take the weed killer approach or like me, I, you know, I'm picking up the weeds out of my you know, one at a time kind of thing. And again, there, there's a place for that. But again, the idea of the desires of the flesh, we don't want to, th- I mean, it's there, it's there for a reason, but the, the, the solution to it is not just um, focusing on, on, on crushing our flesh in a sense. So it negates that idea because it doesn't work. It really doesn't work with uh, when it comes to our problems or challenges, you know, just sort of crucifying ourselves in that sense. That's why, we, that's why when we're talking about this building project, we're, we can't just get this thing done by brute force, you know, by spending less, saving more, or whatever it is, uh, raising the money, being savvy, you know, getting the right uh, realtor, all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, it's simply part, again, part of the process, of a much bigger, fuller spiritual picture that the Lord has for us. So the desire of the flesh has to do with wanting to do things apart from God. Again, whatever that might be. So don't, think, don't, don't think only about, man, I, I want that iPhone or I want this or that or whatever. This has to do with whatever it is that we're doing apart from God. Because some of those desires and some of those passions are good things. The question is, are we doing them in a system that is designed to be in opposition or apart from the will of God. It might be simply exactly in the direct opposition to God's will, or it might be a, a matter of uh, just not knowing what God's will is, and we're pressing forward with it anyways. You know what I mean? We don't, want it, we don't want to do that. In either case, we've got to be patient and earnestly seek God's direction, because he doesn't make things a secret. He doesn't make things a secret. He can communicate with us. Uh, it might just be that we're not quiet or patient enough. So that's the first desire that he talks about here, this desire or improper passion for things of the flesh, things about your life that are in direct opposition to God. The next thing he talks about is this idea of um, passion or lust or desire of the eyes. And it's the literal, you know, literal thing there about the eyes. So, Michael, you're off the hook. You're fine, right? You know, so, but no, no, that's the point. You know, on the one hand, this, this has to do with, obviously, our eyes, what we look at, but it has to do with our outlook, I think, on life, kind of how we, how we think about things, what we dwell upon with our minds what we focus on, and part of our desire. Does it line up with God's will in any way, or is it strictly separate, you know? With these two things in mind, I've, often, I've actually often thought about this one when it does come to our eyes, because, again, this is part of it, what we do look at. I thought, you know, what if, what if you know, we had laser beams, kind of like, uh, you know, you ever, ever played with a laser beam before? A little, light, a little red light you can place on things. What if everywhere you looked, your eyes shot out those laser beams, you know? And everybody could see exactly what you're looking at. <laughs> yeah, we're laughing. I got a little scared when I think about that. We can see exactly what you're looking at. Not only where your gaze travels, but where your gaze settles. You know? Where your gaze stays a little longer than other places, right? How would, how would that change the desires of our eyes in that sense? You know? 
I'm not going to answer that for us, but I think that's pretty important to think of. I've, I've often thought about that. And in, in, with regard to or outlook on life or the things you dwell on, what if all the stuff you thought about every day was kind of recorded you know, in, in, in the database and it, was, you know, it got sent to Dr. Delaire at the end of the day? And she gets to look, she gets to see, ah, oh, this is what David thought about for 18 minutes straight. Oh, my goodness, you know. Uh, how, would that change, how would that change your outlook on life? How would it change what you look at? How would it change your outlook on life? If all that information, if where you, saw, where you looked was recorded and what you thought about and dwelt on was recorded, you know? Change my grade? <laughs> I graduated already. Let's know. No. It's a big deal, right? Would they be in line? Would we see that your, your eyes, where you're looking at what you're dwelling, would that be in line with God? Or not? Again, not to, this is not an indictment or, or accusations, but this is, what the, this is what this passage is telling us very explicitly, you know? What the desires of your flesh, your being, what the desires are that you, your, your, of your outlook is, what the desires of where you, you look are, you know? Would they be in line with God's will, or are they distinctly separate from God? And the last thing in the world here that's listed, the, the thing we talked about, you know, the things of the world being the passions or lusts of our flesh, of our being, the passions or lusts of our eyes, or our outlook. The last thing is... Uh, Variously translated, often you see pride of life. You'll see it translated pride of riches. Um, and those are all fine. Those are actually um, interpretations. I don't think that they're wrong interpretations. Because the, the literal word, actually, if you've got David Stern's translation, he actually uses the, the kind of the literal word that's used there, the word called pretensions. And uh, it's pretensions of life. Where's Chris Ayer? See my leg? It's the word there is, you know, bios in a computer, bios. It's the word kind of where they get bios from. So just general everyday life. Um, it's this idea of the pretensions of life. You might say, well, what is pretensions? Is that what you're saying, Jorge? What are pretensions? No? <laughs> it uh, has to do with arrogance. It has to do with arrogance. The idea of, of laying claim to something. Okay, the idea of laying claim to life. What does that mean? Well, it's really laying claim to something that's well beyond your rightful authority to do so. Okay? It has the idea of trying to uh, control people or to control circumstances. Can anyone relate to that one? Uh, to control history. And in some ways, quite frankly, trying to control God. P- control who he is and how he performs for you and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and not only that trying to control history, trying to control circumstances, trying to control other people, trying to control God, but then also taking credit for it. That's what this has to do with, this idea of pride of life, pride of riches, uh, or pretensions of life. That's what it has to do with. Laying claim to things that you have no business laying claim to and taking credit for it. You know, I often think about, you know, just how clever we we think we are as as human beings, you know. Um, You know, when it's it's, uh, cold in Maryland, and you know, or cold here, I, uh, I summer in Florida, you know, or when it's, when it's hot here, well, we're going to go to Alaska or the, up into Maine or something like that. So we think we're so clever because we get on a plane and we fly to a different, you know, climate zone or something, you know, and you think we're so wonderful and so clever because, and we take credit for it as if, you know, we have a summer home here, we have a winter cabin here. Oh, really? So what you're saying is you got on a plane and you flew around this, uh, this, this ball that's in the middle of space that's spinning while it simultaneously rotates around the sun and you're somehow taking claim for just how clever you are to be in a different spot on that thing. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Try to control that and orchestrate that, you know? The truth is, is that we're always working. 
within God's sovereign control. We're always working in there somewhere. Therefore, it's really just silly and pointless to take you know, pride in life or pretension, a life that ultimately is really just not our own to begin with. Because at some level, most likely, ideally, I don't see any uh, shell fragments on anybody, but most of us probably were born, and we are the, you know, ideally we're the result of, you know, God gave us life, but it's the result of, of two people who came together in love, right, that God put there to begin with. I mean, that's really ultimately that we're all the, we're all the result of, the, of, that, of that union, you know. And with that in mind, in what way would we ever be boastful about our lives or about anything that we accomplish, you know? In what, what way should we? So these things, the, the desires of our flesh or our accomplishments, um, the desire of our eyes or the outlook that we have on life, and the pride or the false credit that we take for life, none of these things come from God, okay? None of these things come from God. And that's the, te- the text telling us in verse 17 that these things are uh, temporary. This is, where we get the, this is where I get the temporary part, because this, this comes in verse 17. It says that these things are passing away. They're passing away outside of our control. The, the word uh, used here in verse 17, uh, it's a word that's used multiple times, but actually in this form it's only used twice here in the book of John, First John actually. Um, and it's, it, it means to pass by, just to be fleeting. And, and more graphically than that, it's, a, it's what's called a passive word. So it's not only that things are passing by, but they're being caused to pass by. Or more specifically, they're being caused to disappear. All of these things, okay? The, the outlook we have on life, the pride we take in, in everyday things or whatever. These things are being caused to disappear outside of our control. And... Um, I, I kind of get the picture there of, and I'm, I'll look around the room here, there's a few of the younger variety here. However, in a few years, you know, you realize, man, thing, time just goes by, doesn't it? There's nothing you can do to stop it. Earthly time is fleeting, and you realize that often with your, with your physical health. Uh, Michael talked about it today in prayer. You know, we, we, we realize our own mortality, and the truth is that life is disappearing before us outside of our control. It is passing by. Uh, we recognize it especially, I think, at the time of, I mean, we're, we're talking about you know, the death of a parent today. When, when a parent, I've had one parent die. When that second parent dies, I think you realize, man, you're alone, and you realize time is just, time is going by. It is disappearing in front of us. What is it that I'm investing in, you know? It's like Yeshua when he talks about the foundation for a home being built in the sand, right? It's not stable. It's a waste of time. It's something that won't last it's like that mirage. You ever see the mirage? You've been on, on Route 70 or somewhere in the country, and you come over the hill, and there's that water, you know, and you think it's there, and, and then it just, whew, just kind of disappears, right? What is it we're spending? We spend, we, we spend time trying to grasp certain things in life that really they're just, they're just a mirage. They're just fleeting. They're just disappearing. Um, <laughs> I remember, uh, I didn't bring the pictures with me today, but I remember it was cool to have long hair in high school, and so... My hair would curl. I had this, what they call Jufro, you know? And so it wouldn't grow long. It'd just kind of curl up. So my sister had a curling iron, and I would curl it down. I would opposite curl it so it would be straight and long, right? I mean, I'd spend time in a hair dryer, and I'd straighten out. And, and it sounds funny on its own. But on the other hand, like, I spent all that time, and look what happened, right? It was just something that was something that's fleeting. That's the idea that something's disappearing outside of our control, and you're investing time in that kind of thing. And really... What's the point, right? It's gone, right? And think about for a moment, 
Everything you have, everything that you've ever had, everything that you want to have, everything that you see right now, one day is going to disappear. Okay? Everything. Sometimes good just to stop and think about that for a moment. Okay? There are things around us that are the result of people who have gone before us and passed, you know? I don't know if the person who worked on that computer there is, is, is alive any longer or what have you, but there are things around us in your home, maybe something from your parent who has passed away or something. It's the result of someone who's not there anymore. And the, and the fact is everything we see, everything we have, everything we've ever seen, everything we ever wanted is going to be gone at one, one moment, you know, at one point, some point. And this is why, although the world tries, and I think you'll agree with me that, boy, it tries, from anti-aging to whatever it might be, although the world tries, that no matter what it does, it cannot satisfy anyone, okay? And we shouldn't lament that fact. You know, sometimes, again, we might look in the mirror and maybe you lament the fact that time is just passing by. <laughs> you know, I've heard people say, oh, who's that old guy in the mirror, you know? Uh, you, you sometimes lament that fact. But the truth is we shouldn't lament that fact. We need to understand that fact today, okay? This is not God saying, oh, you know, enjoy it while it lasts, forget about it. He's saying, look, the world can't satisfy anyone. And we need to understand that fact and seek to cement that fact in our hearts. That's why I was saying to, to dwell on these, these, this, these passages today because we, it's going to be in front of our face as soon as we leave this room because we're faced with everyday life. We're faced with this, this, this idea of the flesh and the system we live in. It's there. But the fact is that it's all, uh, it can't satisfy any, any of us. And, and, and again, that, that, that part comes to us in this final verse that we're looking at today. And I think the hope comes to us in this final verse, the final verse that we're looking today, because in stark contrast to that, that verb that I was talking about that means to cause to pass or to disappear, in very stark contrast to that, we see these last two verbs in this next verse. And most of yours probably all say the same thing. They talk about doing and remaining. I can't imagine it says anything different in your translation. It probably talks about doing, okay, doing the will of God. The desire of God, actually, it's that same word there that we get in the Lord's Prayer, you know. Your will be done, same word. So you're doing the will of God, and therefore you, you will, if you do that, you will remain. And both of those words are very, they call active words. They're ongoing words. The idea of continually doing, carrying out the mission of God, doing your part, doing what God puts in front of you. It's not, a, it's not doing something like a task once and done. It's something that you do, and you do on a continual basis. And it's that the will of God, doing, practicing, accomplishing, carrying out the mission of God. The one that is doing the will of God, it says, is the one that is remaining. It literally says, into the eons. You've heard the word eons before? Into the eternity is what it says. So this one, this person, remains or stands ongoingly into the eternity. And that idea also has this idea of not just of, of remaining, like standing and abiding, but has the idea of enjoying, enjoyment as well. That's God's plan for us. That's the, that's, that's, the, that's the difference. And that needs to be our goal and, more importantly, our prayer. The focus on doing the will of God and remaining with him for eternity. You know, Chaim said it last week. If you didn't catch it, he said that the biggest thing about Yeshua okay, was not the healings and the miracles and people like to focus, well, he was a great guy, he was a great prophet, what a wonderful teacher, such a champion for social justice and so forth. Those were not the amazing things. That was not the amazing thing about Yeshua. What Chaim said is that the biggest thing about Yeshua was his obedience and his desire to do the Father's will. 
And I think we kind of gloss over that sometimes. Maybe we just think it's too amorphous. We don't know what that means. But we need to figure out what that means. We need to dwell on that for sure and pray about that because that's what the most amazing thing about Yeshua is, is that beyond the miracles and everything else is the fact that he was about his father's business and doing the father's will. And that's the same desire that we need to have also. Because absent that, um, we, we fall into pride. We either focus on, as the text says, we're either going to focus on God's will or we're going to focus on our own. And our own will is going to naturally try to latch on to the world. Okay, a world that's passing away. A world that's passing away outside of our control. A world that is just, you know, at best, just transient, you know. Just something we drew in the sand at the, at the beach that's going to get washed away in a moment. At the best, it's that. But God's will, it says here, is permanent, and it stands forever. So again, today, you know, today's your day to decide. Which do you want to invest in, you know? Do you want to invest in the temporary life? Do you want to invest in the permanent life? Because again, they don't, they don't, they're not going to go together. They're two, they're north, north, south, south. They're not, they're not going to stick together, okay? The temporary life seeks to manipulate, seeks to manipulate the world around us, and then take, somehow take kind of some credit for that or, or to, you know, Here's how, here's how well we've done and compare with someone else as if somehow we've done any of that. But the permanent life, the permanent life seeks to align ourselves with God and his will. And that starts with a, a commitment. Number one, to his sovereignty, realizing that he is in sovereign control, realizing that, that we're making a commitment to his lordship and we're making a commitment to his son, Yeshua. So let's pray. <clears throat> We thank you, Lord, uh, for your word today, really for your straightforward warnings, your straightforward admonition, your straightforward instruction that you give us here through John, through Yohanan. Lord, I pray, Lord, for anyone here today that might be struggling with letting go of their own control and allowing you to be ruler of their life, Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes to the absolute power that submission to you and your will brings and enjoyment the fact that we can remain and abide and enjoy that life with you and i pray the lord that each one of us here today would would see clearly the path of doing your will and aligning themselves with your desires and not their own help us today lord just to let go let go of our desires the desires that are in, that are in our life that are explicitly standing in opposition to you, Lord. May we be able to just to let go of these, some of these strongholds and realize, Lord, not that we are hopeless, we're not hopeless, Lord, but we're strong in you and we line ourselves up with your will. So help us, Lord, to align ourselves with your mission that we might stand and we might remain with you in eternity. It's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.